0: so question number five, how can we glorify God? We, we glorify God, God by enjoying him, him, loving him, trusting him, and God by obeying his will, will, commands, and laws. Very good. Hey, um, why don't you take some time to say hi to someone around you? If you're sitting in the back in those gray chairs, why don't you take your stuff and move on forward? We've got plenty of seats in the front. So please just gather your stuff and move on forward. So if you're sitting in the back in those gray chairs, come on up. Move on forward. That includes Mac and Eugenia, Mint, Tiffany, plenty of chairs in the front. Evelyn, yeah. Oh, very good. I love it when people hear the word and respond to the word. The heart is not hardened. Very good. A couple announcements um, for those of you, uh, you can follow along in your bulletins. There's a couple announcements. Uh, February 24th, very important date. We actually are starting something this year, uh, this month. As a congregation, uh, I know many of us, we we make lunch plans after church. We we leave or perhaps we eat on our own. But as an English congregation, we would really love just to get people together from this congregation to share a meal, to talk over this meal. It's not simply uh, for our particular fellowships to eat together, but it's for our entire congregation to eat together and to spend some time together. So on February 24th, we will be uh, having our first of these family reunion lunch, and uh, we will be catering food. There will be a cost, but it will be uh, partially covered by the church. Uh, and what we need from each of you is we need to get a good head count of how many people uh, will be coming so we could have enough food. So if you go to that site, hoc5.us lunch, uh, if you could put down, if you're coming, your family, how many people are there will be coming. That would be really helpful. And if you could just mark it down on your calendar, February 24th. Uh, for almost every uh, month, we'll be having these lunches, the fourth Sunday of the month, except for Easter. And think Easter, we're going to move it up a week. Uh, also, there's a VGM uh, informational meeting if you're interested in the summer mission trip. Uh, one thing that's not on here... Is there also a VBS informational meeting? If you'd like to help out with VBS, uh, there will be a meeting in room B9 at 1230 today. And finally, um, our accounting office has asked me specifically to share this with you. If you have made any donations in the year 2018, please come and get your contribution receipt uh, before. I think there's only two more Sundays left. Please get your contribution receipts. They will mail it to you. It will take some time and a little bit of a cost. But if you could get it between the services or after service, that would be greatly appreciated. All right. So will you pray with me? And if you need a Bible, we're going to kind of just dive right in uh, after we pray. Raise your hand. One of these wonderful Boy Scout ushers will come and bring a Bible over to you. Okay. So raise your hand if you need a Bible. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful, Lord that you have set us free. Uh, As a child of God, we know that we are yours and we are seated in the heavenly places, that we have received every spiritual blessing. Uh, Nothing has been withheld from us. We've been blessed with adoption. We've been blessed with forgiveness. We've been blessed with redemption. So Father, as we look at your word today, would you cause our hearts to be soft towards your word Would you change us so that perhaps for some of us, uh, we would just adopt an attitude of worship and praise, of perpetual worship and praise. Would you speak to us through your word? We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So we're continuing on in our series in the book of uh, Ephesians. And as we are going through the book of Ephesians, we actually just finished chapter 1. Chapter 1, if you've been here the last several weeks, chapter 1 has been Paul just, he starts this letter off and just says, God is so great, isn't he? He's blessed us with all these spiritual blessings. He's blessed us with every single thing that we can possibly imagine. he's, He's predestined you he's forgiven you, he's he's redeemed you, he's brought you into his family, and there is not a single thing that God has withheld from you and from me. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there is nothing that God has withheld. And in Paul's mind, being a son and being a daughter of God is the most wonderful, praiseworthy thing uh, a person can experience. And in fact, his whole entire first chapter is this one long praise sentence. It's this one sentence of just praising God, of how wonderful God is, of how uh, we should all be worshiping and thanking him and, and praising him for all that he has blessed us with. So that, that's a little background. That's the context of Ephesians chapter 1. But let's be honest here. Because as a Christian, there are times when I don't really feel that blessed, right? As a Christian, there are times where I, I read what Paul's writing and there's a little bit of disconnect. I mean, Paul's just on his knees praising God and sometimes I, I don't really feel that. I've been a Christian for 30 plus years. I, I, I've, I've gone to youth group. I've gone to Sunday school. I, I've, I've been to fellowship. I've led by more Bible studies than I could probably remember it's not to brag it's just to say if anybody should understand this amazing thing that Paul is talking about I should understand but sometimes the Christian life feels more like a duty a chore than an expression of joy and there are times to be honest there are many times where I don't feel so blessed I don't I don't feel that wonderful and maybe it's because i take it for granted and maybe you feel the same way with me maybe you take it for granted too maybe there are times where you think oh i'm a child of god Yeah, that's nice oh you know I, I i'm placed in the heavenly realms ah, i don't really quite understand what that means but hey you know that's a good thing that's not a bad thing hey you know i've been forgiven oh, okay abstractly theoretically i understand But I'm not what Paul is talking about. I'm not like Paul's just enraptured on his face in front of God, just saying, thank you, God. I'm not like that. And I think part of the problem Paul addresses in Ephesians chapter 2, I think part of the problem is there are times where we don't feel grateful, we don't feel blessed, we're not overwhelmed with worship because we don't rightly understand what God has rescued us from. We don't rightly understand the, the condition that God has, has has taken us from and placed us to. And in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul does this. He, he brings us to the depth of humanity, which is truly who we are. And then he brings us to the highest parts of, of, of heaven. And he says, this is where God has placed you with." If you remember where you came from, if you remember what you were before you came to Christ, It would lead you to praise. So in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul begins with a phrase so direct, so blunt. It's a punch to the face. It's just right, right there. And you were dead, this is Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Paul begins by reminding each one of us, each one of us that is now placed in the heavenly realms, with all the spiritual blessings that God has given to us, he says, hey guys, before you you start taking all this for granted, before you forget just how tremendous this let let me remind you where you were. He says, spiritually, you were dead. Spiritually, you had no desire, no inkling of of a desire to to want to know God. Your heart did not desire God. Your, your, Your mind did not desire God. There was no part of you that desires God there's no life in you there's no breath in you there's no hope of you rescuing yourself there's no medicine there's no surgery you're dead now what Paul is talking about is he's talking about this spiritual death now spiritual death Oops. spiritual death is, is this relationship to God In our relationship with God, we have no desire for God. We have no desire to do the things that God wants us to do. We have no desire to to love the things that God wants us to do. We don't want God a part of our lives. And he said, you're spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, trespass is kind of an interesting word. It, It simply means a false step. It's crossing a boundary. If God says, don't cross this line, you go right over it, right? If God says, don't go off this cliff, you just decide to jump right off trespass is a false step it's a deviation from the right path and sin it, it traditionally historically has been defined as missing the mark and so in these two words paul is encapsulating both the passive as well as the active act of disobeying god we choose to break god's laws and we also fail to live up to god's desires we choose to break god's laws and we also fail to live up to what god's standards are and because each one of us has transgressed and sinned against God, we are spiritually dead. Spiritual death just means we have no desire to know, love, or respond to God. We have no desire to, to, to say, God, what is it that you want me to do? We have no desire to say, God, what do you want to do with my life? There there's nothing in us. And it doesn't matter if you grew up in the church, it doesn't matter if your parents are saved, it doesn't matter, you know, what spiritual lineage you may have, each one of us we are born spiritually dead. There's no desire, there's no intrinsic desire to know and love God. In fact, Jesus tells us also in the Gospel of John, he says, it's the spirit who gives life. If you was just up to the flesh, it would be no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life without god just based on our own flesh there is no desire for god and there's the result of the spiritual de- death the symptom this is what spiritual death looks like and oftentimes in Ephesians chapter 2 this is called the the great triad against the human soul uh, we follow the course of this world we follow the prince of the power of the air. And that's Satan there. And we live in the passions of our flesh. And Paul here is saying, every single one of us, at some point, we chose to follow the course of the world. We chose to follow what what Satan himself is causing us to do. And we choose to do the very things that that we want to do, all apart from God. And the, the triad of, uh, attack against the human soul is oftentimes called the the world, the flesh, and the devil, and so what the world means is it 's a concept that the world's system is opposed to God, what the world tries to tell us that is contrary to god 's desire, and that could range from anything from saying, you know the most important thing in life is to succeed, to make a lot of money, to get good grades, to have a lot of sex, to just enjoy myself. That could go from anything from saying, hey, you know, uh, sexual morality should be up to me, or, or, or uh, we don't really care about unborn babies. Whatever the world tells us, apart from Christ, we're spiritually dead. We go along with the things of the world. Before we were saved, we all went along doing these things. The second thing is the flesh. Now, when Scripture says, when scripture says that we are spiritually dead we have no desire for god scripture is not saying that we have no desires whatsoever in fact our desires are very much alive but our desires are just for the things that pleases us the things that make you and me happy the things that we think oh you know let me just pursue this pleasure they're not the things of god they're the things of our flesh Perhaps you know you're at fault and you know you should apologize, but there's something in you that you just don't want to. There's something in you where you're just like, ah, I know I'm wrong and I know if I apologize this will resolve everything, but I'm not going to because I don't want people to think I'm weak. Or, or, Or perhaps you know what you're doing is wrong and you know what you're doing is hurtful to other people. You're like, but this feels so good. I just want to continue on. And you're pursuing the flesh. And lastly, the devil. And we do believe the devil is real. It's unfortunate that our our culture has kind of painted the devil as this little red guy with horns and a tail and a trident. And we've kind of characterized him in such a way that we, we don't think any sane person believes in the devil. But the Bible clearly teaches the devil is alive. The devil is real. The devil is out to destroy. The devil, his goal is to oppose God and to oppose his people. He did it in the Garden of Eden when he when he goes to Eve and says, Hey, you know, your God is good, but is he really good? What, well, why would he withhold this fruit from you? You know, I, I think he's withholding this fruit because he probably doesn't have the best store, best plan for you. And he does it to Jesus. He said, Jesus, your ministry, it's hard. You're starving. you got to be tortured. i got a better plan. We could bypass all that. All I got to do is kneel down. And the devil does it to you and to me. He says, is God's plan really the best plan? Is God's ways really the best way? Is it really better... To forgive and to love than to hold on to bitterness? I, I don't know. I think God just is a weak God. Is it really better to live with purity and integrity when everybody else isn't? I don't know. Those guys seem to be getting ahead. And Satan is in the world trying to tempt you and I. And before we were saved, before God rescued us, each one of us, we followed the world We followed our flesh, and we followed the things of Satan. And Paul says, "Well, here's the result. Here's what happens when you follow the world. Here's what happens when you follow your flesh, and here's what happens when you follow Satan. You're a child of wrath. Now, wrath is a, a really a strong term, and." And we don't really use it much, I guess, in, in common English today. When we hear wrath, we think of an extreme anger, something that's just kind of arbitrary, maybe like a, a drunken rage, right? You're just Somebody just goes off on someone. This incredible hulk just like blows everything up. But when Scripture talks about the wrath of God and when Scripture talks about humanity being children of wrath, it's not arbitrary, it's not born out of a, a bad temper or, or drunken rage. It's God's personal and righteous hostility towards evil. You see, God is a good God, and God cannot stand evil. He cannot stand sin. He cannot stand injustice wherever it exists. And his, when he directs his attention towards evil, it is wrath. It's his resolve to condemn evil, and because we are all sinners, because we all follow the world, the flesh, and the devil, God turns his wrath on me and you. Now some of us, we're, we're thinking as we're going through Ephesians chapter 2, we're like, man, Paul, like, yeah, I know some people you're talking about. You know, I, I can name a few who are spiritually dead, but I'm not that bad. Right? Like, Let's just be relative here. I'm, I'm okay. You know, if there's a scale, you know, there's a really bad guys. I'm maybe on the middle, maybe a little bit more. And Paul says, okay. You you want to you want to scale it then? He says, okay, on the scale of dead. You're less dead. But you're still dead, right? And the point here is a lot of times we don't really take a hold of the, the beauty and the wonder of our salvation because we don't really think we're dead. We think we're just partially alive. There, there, there's a little bit in us, right? There, there, there's a great Princess Bride reference, but I'm thinking most of you guys don't watch Princess Bride. But it's like there's still just a little bit of life enough, and and if we could just get the right formula, we could just squeeze that life out, and then you know we could be saved. But, but Paul says, no, no, no dead is dead and you're dead right if you want to talk about relative we could say well you're just more decomposed but you're still dead now some of us we might we might think well but but you know it, i'm not i'm not really that bad no it's you're, you're, you're not but you're dead but 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 paul what about my non-christian friends because it seems a little presumptuous paul that you're saying all of these people that I, that I know that are not believers, you're saying they're spiritually dead. And, and it seems a little presumptuous of, of Christians in general to, to claim that, that all these people, and I know many of these non-Christian friends, they, they, they are much better people than some of these guys here in church. Paul, how can you say that they're spiritually dead? They, they do more good deeds. They, they, they're kind with their words. They love their kids. And Paul would answer... Paul would respond "I like, yes, it does seem exclusive. And it, yes, it does seem presumptuous. But yes, they are spiritually dead. Because in the things that matter the most, not simply the words, not simply the deeds, not simply the actions, in the thing that matters the most, are they able to respond to the love of God? Are they able to live out because they experience god's nature are they able to do the things they're doing because of their relationship with god then yes they are dead they are unable to cry out abba father help me live this way and paul here saying is you and i we were dead we we weren't sick we weren't on death's door we didn't just need a a medicine or surgery And it doesn't matter how good our lives look like on the outside. Our hearts were unable to respond to God. That's what you were. And I I suppose Paul, for dramatic effect, would say, just let that sink in. That's you. That's me. Apart from God, completely dead, with no hope, Recipients of the wrath of God. But that's not where Paul ends. Because this next verse encapsulates perhaps all of the gospel itself. And perhaps the most beautiful verse in this entire chapter He's saying, that's how you used to be, but this is how you are now. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And what Paul here is saying, you used to be dead, but God made you alive. You had no hope. There was no rescuing yourself. You couldn't save yourself. There's no medicine for you. But God rescues you. The gospel is right here. The famous Welsh preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he used to say these two words, but God encapsulates the entire gospel. The most beautiful two words in all of scripture. You once were dead, but God, God made you alive. You once were following the course of this world, but God, he rescued you. You once were were doing the things that you desired that were opposed to God, that were opposed to God's people, but God made us alive with Christ. You once were living out the passions of your flesh, but God, he made us alive with Christ. It's God who intercedes for us. It's God who steps in. It's God who says, let me transform you. Let me give you a new heart. Let me make you alive with Christ. And that's who we are. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are alive in Christ. God has taken your dead body, your dead soul, and says, I am going to give you a new heart, a new life, and now you can respond to me. Now you could receive the love that I'm giving to you. Now your desires change because you have a love for me. You're made alive with Christ because of God. And then Paul says, who who is this God that does this wonderful thing? He lists out three things. He says, well, first of all, God is a God who is rich in mercy. He is rich in mercy. Mercy is kind of an interesting word. We oftentimes confuse that with grace. (coughs) Mercy means uh, we're we're not punished as our sins deserve. Right? We're delivered from judgment. We deserve mercy. Wrath. We deserve eternal separation from God. We deserve hell. And God says, I'm going to extend mercy to you. I'm going to give you something that, that, you know, you deserve this. Let me give you a chance here. I, I'm going to extend mercy. And it's not because uh, of, of what you do but it's because of what God does. And it's so important that we remember God is a God of mercy because so often we think God is out there or the world tells us, you know, God is out there and he's just, he's just there trying to beat people on, the, on their heads and trying to send people to hell. God is out to remove fun and God just, he, he's, he's ready to destroy people and we forget that God is a God of mercy, that none of us deserves to be made alive with Christ and God says, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm not just giving you a chance. I'm giving you a new life. There's no reason you deserve this. I want people to be in my kingdom. I want to invite people into my kingdom. I'm going to give you a chance. There's a great parable where Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven. And the king invites the the people, his his subjects to the wedding feast for his son. And all the people who have the invitations, they say, yeah, I'm too busy. I kind of got a lot to do. I don't want to go to this, this, this uh, wedding. And the king gets, he's livid. He's so upset. And he says, you know what? I want you to invite everybody. Anybody who's able to come, I want you to grab them. And that's the heart of our God. God wants to extend mercy to you. If you don't know God, if you have no relationship with God, God is saying, I want you to be part of my family. Won't you enter? You and I, we don't deserve God's mercy. No one deserves God's mercy. It's not something we can demand, but God is a God of mercy. He's a God that shows us mercy, not punishing us for the sins that we have committed. He's also a God that is great in love. He tells us here in Ephesians chapter 2, God loves us richly. It's kind of amazing the kind of love that, that God shows towards us. You know, Paul writes this to the church in Rome. He says, but God shows us his own love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what Paul here is saying is, while we were still enemies of God, while we were still at war, there was no truce. There was no no break in hostility. While we were actively against God, God pours his love out on us. God says, "I, I want you to know my love. I want you to experience my love. Not just with words. I'm going to send my own son to die on the cross for you. I'm going to... There's a line in one of the songs we sang. Just watch my chosen one be marred. Be crucified. That's how much I love you. That's the extent of my love. I am willing to send my own son who for all eternity existed in heavenly glory and power. Because I love you. While you are still my enemy, I love you. Who dies for his enemies? Well, God does. God is also a God of grace. He's full of grace. And grace is similar words to mercy. Sometimes we confuse those two. What grace means is it's an unmerited favor. It's god blessing us despite the fact that you don't deserve it like there's no reason god gives you this gift it's not your birthday it's not christmas it's just god says i'm gonna i'm gonna shower you with this gift of eternal life i'm gonna shower you with a relationship with me you don't deserve it if you deserved it it wouldn't be grace if you worked for it it wouldn't be grace your mercy is deliverance from judgment grace is god extending his kindness to to the unworthy and god takes a spiritually dead heart of mine He says, it's not because you're good it's not because you go to church it's not because you memorize bible verses it's not because you do this or you do that you're kind and you give to the salvation army guy it's because of god it's completely because of god and god takes this dead heart of mine he says come alive and he, he takes this dead mind of mine and he says, come alive with my son Jesus Christ. Come alive into this reality that you were meant to experience. Come alive to this eternal relationship that I have predestined for, for you. Just come alive to the kingdom of God, to the purpose of God, to the plan of God, because only God can make us come alive. And God does that completely by grace, not because of anything you've done, not because of anything you will do, but simply because that is who God is. It is completely by grace. And God saves us by grace, by this unmerited favor. Now there's some of us who say, Well, that's not fair. Right? Because if God could save completely, you know, unmerited, then then God could save Hitler, and God could save Mother Teresa, and that holy totally does not seem fair, and that, that's absolutely true. That's what grace is. Because if if God is demanded right if grace is demanded then then it's no longer grace grace is never fair right if grace were fair it'd be called justice and if we want justice then we get help because that's what we deserve but God shows grace to unworthy sinners like me and like you and he rescues us though we don't deserve it and now that Paul has brought us from the highest heights and he, he looks back and he says, look at where you came from. Look, look at the depth of depravity humanity was. And not just humanity in general, but you. Because you used to walk in this way. I used to walk in this way. The question remains, so how does God save us? How can we receive this salvation? How can we be a part of the family of God? And Paul tells us it's by grace through faith. We're saved by grace through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. You see, when we come to Christ, it's God who saves us. But the means by which we receive this gift is faith. Faith means acknowledging that God can and will save you. Right? Faith means not just saying, yes, I believe that God can't save me, It's actually believing that God will do it. There's a heart motivation. There's a heart change. It's not just saying, oh, I know God is true. I know the Son of God is, is Jesus Christ. There's something that goes from the mind to the heart. And faith means not just knowing with our minds, but believing in our hearts that God will save us. But faith also means living it out, putting it into practice, and saying, yes, I believe that God can save us, I believe that God will save me and I'm going to live it out. I'm going to live out the truth that God has saved me and how that changes my life. How does that change the way I speak to people? How does that change the way I live with people? How does that change the way I relate with people? If I've been forgiven this much, if God has rescued me from the the pits of sin and He's forgiven me, could I continue to hold on to unforgiveness for someone else? If God loves me this much even while I was still his enemies, how can I continue to hold on to hatred towards someone else? If God has welcomed a sinner like me, how can I continue to reject those who are not like me? Faith means not just believing in your mind, It doesn't mean just believing in our hearts. It means living out that truth that the gospel changes our lives. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God came down and he rescued you because there is nothing that you or I could do and you know really that's the difference between Christianity and, and pretty much every other religion there is in the world every other religion says how, what must I do so that I can be like God how can I achieve God like characteristics how good can I be so that I could be like God and God says you know what you can't because you're dead a dead person can't save themselves and Christianity says but I can God says And I will and I have by sending my son Jesus Christ down on the cross so that his death, his blood covers over all my sins. Now some people are thinking, well, that sounds easy, right? So I could basically just become a Christian and continue to live however I want to live, right? Hey, you know, because once I I believe and I accept, and why can't I just do whatever I want to do? It it seems a pretty good deal. And Paul addresses it. He says, you know, we are his workmanship. That word for workmanship, it's a Greek word, poema. We're, We're like his poem. We're his art piece. We're his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. Now notice why he creates us. He creates us in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And Paul says, you were rescued, not because of anything you've done, not because of anything you will do, not because of how you live your life. You're rescued simply by the grace of God, but you're rescued for a purpose. And that purpose is to do good works. That purpose is to do the things that God has prepared beforehand. God already has planned out what he wants you to do. He wants you to share the good news with, with all of those around. He wants you to speak the truth of the gospel. To speak with love and forgiveness. To be a aroma of Christ wherever you go. He wants you to be light and salt in your schools and your workplaces in your neighborhoods. He wants you to be an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven, wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you play. And God says, before you were created, i prepared these works for you, and I want you to walk in them. Before you were created, I I wanted you to live generously towards those who you're stingy with. Before you are created, I, I want you to practice forgiveness. And I want you to practice love. And I want you to practice gentleness. And I want you to practice self-control. And I want you to do good things. And I want you to exhibit what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Before you were created, I've prepared these good works for you. And I want you to do them. We are God's poem. We are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. What good works has God been preparing for you? Now friends, if we truly understand just the depth of our own sin, if we truly understand that we were spiritually dead, there's nothing. there, w- there wasn't a, even a faint heartbeat that God had to rescue us. God had to give us a new life. I believe that we would be worshiping along with Paul. That we would just be in this constant praise right? Of, of what a good God we have. But I think sometimes we forget. So we remember as we read Ephesians chapter 2. A couple things to consider as we wrap up You know, Paul's talking here about all those who are followers of Christ. All the promises, all the blessings. He's talking to Christians. But to those who are not yet believers, Paul says, this is just the reality of who you are. Now, you may read this, and you may not be a believer here today, and you may think, well, that's kind of harsh. And, you know, it just kind of reinforces the idea that Christianities are very exclusive. But, you know, if we're to be honest, let's just look at our lives. Who's the god of your life? Who do you follow? What, who, who makes the decisions for you? And if it, if it's if we're honest, you know, just very frankly, we're our own gods. And we do the things that we want to do, and we're, we're informed by by the world. We're informed by our own pleasures. And, and Paul says, "There's more to this life than that. There is hope beyond this life." Because at the end of the day, we will each stand before God. And at the end of the day, we will say, I either put you in charge of my life or I put myself in charge of my life. If you're not a believer here today, would today be the day where you say, you know, God, I, I want to be part of this family. I, I, I want to experience the blessings that you have. I, I don't want to just pursue my own desires. I want to pursue the things that you want me to pursue, God. All we do is we acknowledge that God can and will save us. We believe in our hearts that God can and does save me. We say, God, will you forgive my sins? Will you rescue me? Will you take control of my life? And then we begin a journey of being a part of God's family. And for those of us who are already saved, We continue, and and this is true for all of us, we continue to wrestle with temptations. Temptations from the world, the flesh, the devil. Just because we're believers does not mean we're no longer tempted. In fact, Satan may tempt us even more. And and sometimes as Christians, we feel the need that we need to hide the fact that we face temptations. As Christians, we feel like, well, we need to have our lives all put together. When in truth, the, the, the irony is Christians are the most broken people of all because we recognize our brokenness. And sometimes we just need to confess to one another. I'm wrestling with this. I'm wrestling with putting God first in this particular area. I'm wrestling with this particular desire to want to get ahead. I'm wrestling with what what the world's telling me that I should be as a husband, as as a father, as a son. I'm wrestling with, with where I should be spending my money. Everybody else is doing this. I'm wrestling with my sexual purity i'm wrestling with my 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 allocation of resources and god has given us one another to be a family to care for one another to pray with each other to encourage each other because we are the family that god has given to help each other grow to help each other overcome we pray and we say god would you help my brother would you help my sister would your spirit give us the ability to resist these temptations? And finally, what good works has God prepared beforehand for you to do this week? If God says, if Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago, Paul, Paul says, God's already prepared something for you to do this week. I don't know what it is, but God does. And sometimes we walk through life, we're just, we, we've got these blinders on, and we don't see the world around us. We don't see people who are hurting. We don't see people who are needy. We don't see people who are just struggling in life. We don't see people who need a loving word, a kind touch. We don't see people who just need a hug. But God has prepared good works for us. What is it that God has prepared for you to do today? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a good God. We thank you, God. Just, just, wow. What an amazing salvation. To know that I am absolutely, with no reservation, dead apart from you, and yet you came and you gave me new life. You gave us new life. Would you fill our hearts with wonder, Lord? Would you fill our hearts with gratitude, with amazement? What a great God we have. Would you allow us to live this week with the reality of the gospel right before us? And would you allow us to walk in the good works that you have prepared for us to do? We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.